Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Wow, there is a lot going on here in the second week of the year. Um, you know, first, we have a new money doctor sitting in for John, who's out this week. Welcome, Ryan. That's right. It's good to be here. You know, I finally made it through money med school, money residency, and I have that white coat, and I'm officially a money doctor, so it's good to be here. <laughs> Welcome here, Ryan. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's great to have a fellow Clemson alumni here, too. Yeah. You know, it's place of that Gamecock John who, <laughs> you know, sits there and harasses me every time we lose, unfortunately. Yeah. And uh, speaking of which, uh, that was a tough game we played last week. Yeah, that was tough. I didn't expect it to be quite as bad, you know, but uh, that's a tough one to swallow. But, you know, congratulations to Ohio State. They deserved it. They came and played. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, they, they actually played a lot better than I expected. I mean, I think if they played that good, they would have probably beaten, like, the New England Patriots yeah. or something. I mean, they were they – were, if they played that well against Alabama, I really think they have a really good shot at beating them. Absolutely. They played out of their mind. Yeah, so that's the championship game coming up uh, here just on Monday. So uh, that's coming right up. That'll be exciting. Um, you know, that'll be be really good. Clemson um, had a great season anyway. Great so. season. It'll be a great game in that championship game. Yeah, and then we had the runoff election this week, you know, and I just want to comment briefly about that because I've had a lot of questions, obviously, you know, and regardless of your political persuasion, I just want to say – that markets really don't care much about who's in Washington. I mean, markets really are driven by earnings and the economy. So, you know, when it comes to your investments, just stay focused on the long term. Forget about politics. Um, you know, enough about politics. But yeah. the markets, you know, responded well right after this. So it just shows you how yeah. unpredictable things are. Very hard to predict. So, yeah. So speaking of which, we have a great show lineup for today. And we're going to talk um, first about the six investing lessons from 2020. Um, you know, there's a lot we can learn from last year with, with all we went through. And so we're going to cover six very important takeaways from 2020 when it comes to your investments. Um, that's going to be really good. So you'll want to stay about you want to stick around for that. And then we're going to follow that up, though, with the discussion about life insurance um, that comes from Dave Ramsey's organization. Um, so we're going to do kind of a deep dive into what life insurance really covers and what it doesn't cover, what it's used for. Um, some of the things that you might might not think of, because um, there's a lot more to it really than meets the eye with life insurance. So we'll dig into that here shortly. But by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 25 years experience in both financial planning and investment advice. Yeah, and I'm one of the advisors here at Richard Young Associates. My name is Ryan Borders, and I'm also a certified financial planner. That's right. And we're, we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Um, so check out our show there. Go to our website, moneymd.net, where you can listen to us every Friday. And um, check us on our website as well. Um, you can link to us there. You can ask us questions. Send us those questions. We'll cover them right here on the show. We're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, so this is a really good one, Steve. So listen to this. Since 1950... The S&P 500 index has been up 54% of the 17,866 trading days, gotcha. okay, and up 60% of the 852 months, up 67% of the 284 quarters, and over those 71 years, it's been up 73%. So this just goes back to what we talk about on this podcast and with our clients. 
you know, investors are rewarded for the long term. You don't you don't want to try time markets. You want to stay in the markets, um, even during the bad times, because what history shows is that markets have rewarded those long term investors. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what what you're really showing by these stats, uh, Ryan, is that the, the odds are greatly in your favor. When you're in the market, even on the normal days, just looking at it on a daily basis, still 54% of the days are positive. So when you're out of the market for a week thinking you're timing something, the chances are good you're going to miss an up day, you know. And, uh, I mean, th- this this election, this runoff election we had this past week is a good case in point. Because really, it seemed to me people were thinking the market would drop after that election went the way it did. Exactly. And turns out the market had a big day, you know. So um, it, it's very unpredictable. And when you look at it over the course of a year, which everybody in the market needs to have at least a one-year time horizon, right? I mean, you shouldn't be investing in stocks if you don't have a one-year time horizon. 73% of the years, as you just pointed out, um, are positive. So, you know, on a yearly basis, the odds are greatly in your favor for staying in the stock market. And that's the point here. So, yeah, great fact of the week. Yeah, it's a great fact of the week just, you know, coming off of this year especially. Exactly. All right. Very good. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the six investing lessons from 2020. And uh, this is based on an article from Yahoo Finance very recently. Um, but Ryan, wow! I mean, what a year it was in 2020 in more ways than we care to remember, unfortunately. Um, however, I mean, there's a lot we can learn from a year like last year when it comes to your investments, and it's easy to gloss over some of the powerful lessons that played out last year in the stock markets around the world. So, I mean, despite all the difficulties that we had to endure, <clears throat> you know, through this pandemic last year and continue to endure for that matter. Um, you know, but with this bear market and the shutdowns and everything that went on last year, it was remarkable to see some of the time-tested truths about investing that played out in reality when all the dust settled last year. Um, so let's jump right in. Let's talk about a few of the important takeaways from last year. Yeah, so number one is, you know, no one can see the future. You know, if there's an overreaching lesson from the year that we just had, it's that no one can really predict what's going to happen or, you know, even you know, what we see obvious events unfolding, um, certainty has frequently been rewarded with a cruel sense of humor throughout history. And this year we saw everything change um, in stark ways that everybody knows all too well. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, back in March, you know, um, economists, politicians, investors, you know, whenever the markets dropped, they kind of laid out these scenarios of all the potential things that could happen, um, <clears throat> you know, with the stock market and the economy and public health. And, um, you know, they, they, they all thought about how this the might respond. So everybody had their kind of their predictions that they were making. And the fact is, most analysts, though, thought the markets would not recover by year end to finish with gains, not even close. I mean, pointing to past bear markets, most experts thought markets would be down for a year and a half or so or even longer. Um, you know, they were equating this drop that we had last year to the great financial crisis, if you recall, back in 2008, where it took 18 months for markets to hit bottom, let alone recover. And then it took another uh, couple years for things to recover. So, you know, they pointed to the average bear market where it typically takes well over a year for it to recover once it hit bottom. And that's kind of what they were expecting this time. And that that just didn't play out. Um and, of course, that's that's exactly not what happened. Um, the S&P 500 was back at new highs early in mid-August, only five months from the bottom. Wow. And yeah, I mean, it seems inconceivable 
to most experts, or it seemed inconceivable to them. But, you know, markets priced in a recovery well out into into this year, into 2021. They discounted all the damage from these temporary shutdowns. And, you know, markets started recovering very, very quickly from the bottom. So, I mean, forecasts are easy to pick on. And at their best, you know, they're not meant to be crystal ball tools to use, you know, like like any other forecast. But um, they can be useful, you know, if, if things continue on the path. And that's kind of always the caveat you hear. If things continue the way they are now, you know, this is what's going to happen. But the truth is, Things never continue the way they are now, right? Um, yeah. So you just have to recognize that, um, you know, forecasts are not, are just that. They're forecasts. Predictions are, are really not useful when it comes to the stock market. And uh, But to their credit, you know, a lot of a lot of the forecasters kind of withdrew their guidance when this market started to drop back in March. And, you know, the humility was looked pretty good in retrospect because it didn't play out the way they thought. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, even, you know, the fact is, if you can predict an event, it's really impossible to know how investors are going to respond to those events. So it's kind of, you know, really hard to do that as well. So, you know, imagine in March, you know, we're down, you know, 30%. And, you know, what if I told you, hey, by the end of the year, there's going to be 300,000 dead, unfortunately, and 20 million cases at the end of the year, you know, would you say the S&P 500 was going to be up 15% after dropping that 30%? No, absolutely Mm -hmm. not. Um, so that's why you really need to follow a disciplined process and stay invested at a risk level that you are comfortable with for the long term. Yeah, that's exactly right, Ryan. Um, yeah, I mean, you just never know what's going to happen. So you just can't try to predict it. And yeah, up 15 percent over the course of the year was unfathomable to, to most people, you know, back then. So but another another lesson, though, from last year, Ryan, is that unthinkable things can happen and you can't time them. You know, you just can't time them. I mean, back in February, after watching the coronavirus emerge and spread from China, there was no doubt um, some people were sounding the alarm, you know, that this could be a huge global problem. But stock prices continued to suggest that that, there were, that they really didn't believe that, right? Because stock prices continued to go up. In fact, they peaked in late February um, about a year ago. You know, and that was after the virus had long reached our shores and begun to spread. Um, so too many people thought that it just couldn't happen to us, you know, as the virus eventually hit the vast majority of the countries around the planet. You know, government politicians, they weren't really prepared. Um, you know, the public, the investors didn't really come around to how awful this really was going to be until we were well into March, you know, near the bottom of the market. And then as markets approached the bottom on March 23rd, you know, the Dow um, bounced down and then up about a remarkable 10% there for about a week every day, up and down for a week. So anyone trying to time those wild gyrations, they quickly paid a severe price for being out of the market um, near the bottom as it gained over 17% in just three days from the bottom. And then it gained another 44% in total over just two and a half months. So, I mean, it just wow. shows you how unpredictable it is. Nobody really predicted that. Um, you know, and this isn't limited to just pandemics. If you look at history, history is littered with examples of of these once unthinkable events occurring. And, you know, like 9-11 comes to mind when you think back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this year's pandemic really is just the latest example of that. So staying invested in a well-diversified portfolio, that's really the proven way to participate in the markets 
and the recovery when these downturns happen without taking on the speculative risk that happens in the process. Yeah, and so the next lesson is, you know, markets are not necessarily intuitive. Um, If predictions are hard to make, they're also very hard to understand. Uh, This is perhaps best illustrated by the fact that had you known the future of the virus or where employment is, you would probably not have imagined the stock market where it is now. Um, So, you know, right now, you know, unemployment's, you know, almost double what it was. um, And you would think that markets would respond to that, but markets have done well. Um, As Wall Streeters have often said, the market is a narrative, a collection of stories, predictions, and hopes. Um, On the one hand, it's sometimes easy to explain things like how earnings and expectations drive the markets and how the real economy, like unemployment and wage wage growth, isn't necessarily connected to the rising indices. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it it is definitely unpredictable. Um, you know, sometimes though, I mean, markets, you know, they, they make sense, but other times, um, they don't make sense, you know, like the sudden, you know, individual, suddenly individuals decide that there's nothing hotter than bankrupt companies like Hertz, you know, (laughs) and a whole bunch of people bought that last year, you know, and kind of drove up the price, even though they were, they were on the brink of bankruptcy and then even Tesla. And, you know, I mean, there just seems to be a great disconnect between the fundamental fundamentals and the finance. And that's kind of the way most analysts put it when they look at stocks like that. So, you know, it's just not necessarily intuitive. You can't predict it, you know, as we've talked yeah. about. Another lesson, though, from the from last year, though, Ryan, is that dollar cost averaging is a good strategy and it works. You know, if market if the market craziness from last year vindicated one investment idea, it was dollar cost averaging. That practice is basically it's just investing money at regular intervals to smooth out the market's contours, you know, and that rewarded investors who didn't try to time their moves just right last year. At the end of March, markets fell and rose over 5% a bunch of times. I mean, it was doing it almost daily. And that provided kind of an intoxicating opportunity for somebody to buy in the dips and try to basically do some day trading there. Um, of course, they didn't know, you know, what the bottom would be. Um, so every time they were out of the market and it came back, you know, they got hurt. Um, they left a lot of cash on the sidelines. But the dollar cost averaging people, on the other hand, you know, they just kind of had a stress-free buying schedule. They were putting money in maybe every month into their 401k by their contributions, the company match. They just simply simply kept buying at regular intervals and in during the down market, that meant they were buying more shares. And, you know, that, that really helped them last year. So people that were adding money last year that did it routinely, they benefited greatly. And that was a great example of how dollar cost averaging works. Yeah. And, you know, that's why it's good to make sure that you're doing things like having automatic monthly distributions to, to your accounts, to your IRAs um, to help give you that. So the next lesson is, you know, rebalancing works. You know, for people who didn't necessarily have the cash on the sidelines, you know, portfolio rebalancing was a great strategy. Um, You know, we do that here at Richard Young Associates. But, you know, let's look at this. You know, as the market fell, you know, everybody's allocation moved as well. So if your portfolio was in a very common 75% stock, 25% bonds, uh, you know, before the drop, well, after the stocks got hammered back in March and was down 30%, you might have been left with just 65% stocks, far less than what your goal is. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so rebalancing was key. I mean, we did that for our clients. We did some strategic rebalancing after the crash back in March. 
Um, but that would have led you, if you did it yourself, you know, in your 401k, for example, that would have led you to buy a lot more stocks, get your allocation back up to 75%, and uh, you'd be buying stocks at a big discount when that happened, Ryan. And then those stock asset classes, they went on to gain like 50 to 80% from the bottom back in March um, for the remainder of the year. So those rebalancing trades greatly helped people during the recovery and that added a lot to the overall return for the year. So rebalancing worked. Last year was a fantastic example of how powerful rebalancing is. Another, the last uh, of these six lessons from last year, Ryan, is that markets will probably be bigger later. <laughs> you know, I love that. It's, yeah. it's getting bigger. You know, there's no doubt. I mean, the consensus on Wall Street and frankly, Main Street is that the stock market is almost certainly going to rise over the long run. Um, you know, this underpins everything from target date mutual funds, you know, retirement funds that are designed to, to have a certain amount in in stocks that get sm uh, a lower percentage as you get older um, to even more intense asset allocation and, and management. Over any 10 year period, the S&P 500 has only seen negative returns one time. And that was the lost decade that ended back in uh, 2009. Wow. Um, so other than that, you know, you go all the way back to over 100 years, the S&P 500's never had a negative 10-year period. So when the markets crashed, though, back in late March, you know, people not only continued to dollar cost average to smooth out their volatility, but, but many long-term investors also decided to increase their contributions or bought stocks, effectively buying into the dip. So according to Vanguard, you know, long-term investors, they really didn't flinch, and that was the good thing. A lot of them stayed in. Um, they actually took advantage of the market's low prices. And, uh, so even if they didn't expect all-time highs so soon, it certainly would have been unreasonable to expect them, um, you know, to not expect them sometime in the next, next few years. Um, so, you know, as a long-term investor, you just want to stay invested. I mean, these really are timeless Timeless truths that were played out last year there was a lot we can learn from last year as we look back on what happened in the markets. But once again, it just proves that asset allocation, staying invested, having a disciplined strategy, you know, those are the things that work long term. You don't need to react and try to time the market. Last year, you know, just discipline, staying invested paid off. And that's exactly it. Yeah, you know, just another crazy year with un very unpredictable, but there's nothing new under the sun. It's a phrase you hear a lot, and we can see that again. That's exactly right. All right. Good topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. And so the question here today, Ryan, is should I save in a Roth IRA for my kid's college? You know, is that a good idea? Well, I mean, kind of the short answer is, you know, not really. I mean, you could save in your in a Roth IRA for your kid's college, um, but it's not the best vehicle. It's a great vehicle for retirement because it's tax-free, right? I mean, it grows yeah. tax-free. You can get, you can get your contributions back anytime. So you definitely could use a Roth for, for, for money for college, but you're kind of taking money out that's, that's in a tax-free vehicle that's limited on how fast you could put it in and you're using early for college. So we would recommend you keep that money invested in a Roth. Use that for retirement. That's money you're going to want to leave in there. It's, it's a tax-free nest egg for the future. 
and use use something. I mean, something that's better would be a 529 plan, right? Exactly. Like a 529, you know, Georgia and South Carolina both have great plans. You know, if we're pulling from the Roth IRA, we'd have to rerun your plans and that can really, you know, change the trajectory for your retirement plan. So that's one reason, like you said, we don't recommend that because it can really change your future plan. And, you know, want to use vehicles that are made for college savings, like the 529 and ESA, um, that have great tax benefits, you know, for your state income tax. That's right. As well as, you know, great, you know, you can put a lot of money into it and you can take more out compared to, like you said, with the Roth, um, with those limits. Yeah, I mean, a 529 plan actually gives you a state tax deduction on the front end if you're using your state's plan for most plans. And so that's an added benefit that you don't get for a Roth that you can only use for college, and then you could take money out for qualified expenses tax-free after it has grown for 18 years or however long you've had the money in there. So it's a great tool. That's certainly what we would recommend for college. You know, keep your Roth money if you can for for retirement because that's going to be a powerful tool for retirement. Um, that's money that's going to be tax-free. It's going to give you a lot of flexibility in retirement to control your tax situation. Um, we're big fans of Roth. We're big fans of building some of that up. So you have some choices in retirement of where to draw your money from a tax-free account like a Roth or a taxable account like an IRA where most people have their money. So, um, but great question. Yeah, great and, question. Uh, that leads us up here to our next topic. And that is what does life insurance cover? So this is an article out of a Ramsey, uh, Dave Ramsey's organization very recently, um, and, and this is really important, you know, life insurance is kind of boring to a lot of people, you know, yeah. they don't like to think about it. Right. Um, kind of a morbid subject, but on the other hand, I mean, life insurance is very, very important. And so it's important to know what it does and doesn't do for you, what it covers. And you know, the unthinkable things can happen. I mean, anytime, right. We never know the future and that's why you need to prepare and you need to make sure your family, um, will be financially secure if tragedy does strike. Um, so life insurance coverage, coverage is one of the best gifts that really can, you can give your family or dependents to give them that sense of security if something does happen that they're going to be okay. So we recommend really term life insurance um, to most people because it's simple and it's affordable. It is the lowest cost type of insurance. You know, you have a target date that it goes to and you can design it so that it covers your life till your kids are out of college and till you're in retirement, you know, and you can specifically design it for that purpose. Um, so we recommend term life, um, you know, and your beneficiaries can use it to cover a lot of different costs like burial costs, mortgages, the kids' college funds. Um, so, but even the best insurance policies do have their limits. So let's take a look at some of the details of what life insurance does and does not cover. The first thing that it, of course, does cover <clears throat> is of end-of-life expenses. You know, um, you know, it's amazing how many costs that they can rack up when somebody passes away. Um, of course, there's the funeral costs that can be, you know, seven to $10,000 on average. But, you know, there's a lot of money also that you're, you know, that just comes with expenses that, to cover, you know, uh, just everything dealing with kind of settling an estate, paying taxes, perhaps paying off bills, paying off mortgages, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, end of life expenses is one. Yeah, the two guaranteed things in life are death and taxes, and looks like both of those are pretty darn expensive, right? That's right, no <laughs> and doubt. One of those other things that you know life insurance can help cover is debts. You know, maybe you're in baby step two and you're trying to pay off all your debts outside of the mortgage. Well, one thing you can leave to your family um, is to help pay off those debts. You know, pay back 
Uh, maybe you have car payments. You know, even maybe you could pay off the home with that life insurance. Talk about a huge weight off the shoulders of your family after you know they're grieving your loss. What a great gift you could leave to them to allow your family to be debt free going forward. Yeah, debts are definitely one of the biggest reasons you'd want to get life insurance. It is, um, it's, it's you know, a key thing that you want to have life insurance for is to, to get the debts out of the way so your families don't have to struggle, you know, making the bills every day. And that leads us up to the next one, and that is the everyday bills. I mean, electricity, phone, trash, insurance. You know, it seems like, you know, every day there's another bill in the mail, right? I mean, we all we all see that, you know, and throwing the fact that your kids are constantly, you know, eating growing up, you know, there's a lot of cost to deal with that and medical and everything else. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> you know, so you, so you want to be able to to cover your bills and that's what life insurance certainly, you know, will pay for in the event something happens. Yeah, and so, you know, speaking of kids, you know, life insurance can help with those expenses with your dependents. So, you know, think about just all the costs of kids, you know, that your spouse could use for childcare, you know, or even like medical care, you know, let's say Lucy breaks her arm on the trampoline. Well, that expense is covered, or maybe you have a special needs child that needs in-home care. Well, the life insurance money can help cover that as well. But the big one, which we talk about a lot, is, you know, college savings. You could leave a lasting legacy to your family for many years with that life insurance money, help pay for your kid's college. Yeah, that's exactly right. By the way, I just want to say we don't sell life insurance. So I'm not, you know, a proponent of over-insuring yourself. But having said that, it is very, very important. And um, you do want to take care of your dependents. And so, you know, another thing that life insurance certainly provides is the opportunity to invest. Um, and so you want to, you know, whenever life insurance pays out, you know, it isn't just for kids or bill. It's it's for your spouse, too, and it's for the rest of your life. So that money, that chunk of money that your, your spouse would get or your dependents would get um, is there to provide financial peace for the rest of their lives. So they need to be able to invest that money. They need to be able to create some income from it. <clears throat> they need to, to have the ability to, to, to invest it properly, to diversify, to get it to where it's creating some income for the rest of their lives. So, you know, uh, Dave Ramsey and we would also, you know, suggest that you coach your spouse and your dependents on how to invest your money, um, their money, you know, particularly life insurance proceeds, something happens to you so that they can create that income and that sense of peace of having income for the rest of their life. So... Exactly. So let's talk about next what life insurance does not cover. Yep. So term life insurance can do many wonderful things for your family, but there are certain things uh, that your life insurance does not cover. You know, if you die during any of these situations, um, then the payout of your loved ones are you know counting on is a no-go. Yeah, that's right. So we're going to run through these kind of quickly, Ryan, because we're kind of running short on time here. But the first one is criminal activity. You know, um, you know, if you're... <laughs> Yeah, if you're if you're doing something criminal and you get killed, unfortunately, life insurance doesn't cover you. It kind of goes without saying, but that is an exemption in most life insurance. And what's the other one? Next one. Yeah, the Ryan. next one's insurance fraud. And while a lot of people think of like a dramatic movie scene where you fake your death and go live on some island somewhere as a millionaire, it's more of the things that you might not think about. You know, the insurance companies have a much broader definition of fraud, and you can actually be committing fraud right now. So, for an example, you know. If you're a smoker and you said on the life insurance application that you're not, well, then they might not pay out uh, your life insurance benefit to the beneficiary. 
So you got to be truthful in the application if you want the insurance to pay out because yeah. they do something called postmortem uh, underwriting where they go back and look at a policy and they'll determine whether you were truthful in the policy, you know, and if they find out you were a smoker your whole life, they'll adjust the payout on the policy um, to, to, you know, for the premium you paid for being a smoker. So, you know, you got to be truthful on that. And if it was fraud, then like you said, they won't pay out. A couple of things they might or might not cover. Um, one is death by a risky hobby, you know. So, I mean, if you're a private pilot, scuba diver, or, you know, like base jumping on the weekends, yeah, your policy may or may not cover that. You know, most policies have a, have a rider or, or a, a special form you have to fill out and you have to disclose those kinds of risky activities. Yeah, and the next one is kind of an unfortunate one, but it's death by suicide. You know, most policies will pay out for suicide after at least two years. Um, but, you know, if it's between, you know, you can't just go get a policy and then, you know, commit suicide and get a payout. But, you know, the main thing with this, you know, if you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or behaviors, you know, there is hope and there is help. So please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Yeah, that's right. And then there's medical expenses, um, you know, while you're alive. Um, you know, it might or might not cover that. Um, you know, some policies allow you to access the the uh, the death proceeds early if you have some kind of terminal illness. Um, but it really depends on the policy. Another one's long term care. I'm just going to run through these, Ryan. Long term care is another one. Um, you know, most policies don't cover that. If you have some kind of policy that's a nursing home policy, obviously a long-term care policy is what's designed to cover long-term care expenses. Disability is another, you know, you need a disability policy to cover that. Um, life insurance policies don't cover income for disability. So those are the, some of the things that might or might not cover. But yeah, I mean, understanding your life insurance policy, what it does and doesn't cover is really, really important. So just make sure here in the new year that you that you understand um, what life insurance is there for and, and, you know, what kind of coverage you have. And just make sure you're adequately covered for, for your dependents. All right, good topic. And that leads us up here to our final thing of the week, and that is the prescription of the week. So the question is, have you updated your retirement plan recently? Um, because, you know, it's time to do that. We've been through a, a very tumultuous year last year. Um, you know, fortunately, markets came back. Hopefully your plan's in better shape than it was a year ago. But you never know. I mean, things do change. So you need to go in. You need to update that every single year. Um, you need to make sure you have all your income in there. You need to make sure you know how much you're going to need in retirement in terms of income, where the sources are going to be, what your Social Security is going to be, any pensions that you have, um, where all your assets are and uh, project those out for retirement. So uh, if you haven't done that, we would encourage you to do that. Of course, we do that for our clients. So contact us if you want to want to update your plan um, for the new year. We haven't done that recently, but very, very important. You also want to make sure inflation's built into a plan. A lot of people do this back of the envelope thing where they'll, they'll, they'll calculate their retirement income the first year they retire. And that's great, but it doesn't tell you what it's going to look like 10 years into retirement or 20 years into retirement. So you really have to do some projections that include um, inflation. Very, very important when it comes to uh, retirement planning. Yeah. So like Steve said, you want to you know visit this every year and review your retirement and plan at least once a year. And we're happy to do that with you or maybe you work with another advisor. Make sure you do that. A uh, great way to start your year for planning. Okay, well, that's been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week. There are more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can link to us there 
on the website or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.